Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko. I hope you're safe and well and I'm glad that you're tuning in for this podcast episode. Uh, today's guest is uh, Dan Fallow and uh, yeah, looking forward to having him on and uh, discuss a whole bunch of uh, coffee stuff and uh, speaking of him, here he, here he is. I'll send him a quick invite. Good morning. Good, good morning to you. Good evening to me. Hi, man. How are you? Fantastic. How are you traveling? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Just uh, pretty much staying home these days because of everything that's going on. But that's no, good. Yeah. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for giving us an hour of your time. I know that you're pleasure. still busy uh, between family and uh, business commitments. <laughs> and I'm uh, in every sense the busiest I've ever been right now, which is cool. It's, uh, I'm lucky, lucky enough to be in that position, so yeah, uh, nice to be doing stuff. Uh, yeah, no, I'm very, very happy that you could make it because I was uh, looking forward to meet you and uh, have a chat with you and uh, just, just go, with the, go with the mojo. And um, just before we get started, uh, you, you and your family are doing well, consider yeah. all? Yeah, really good, thank you. He, um, so our little boy was born in the middle of March. So he's five months old now. We've basically spent almost every day together, which is really cool. A lot of people don't get that opportunity. So and it's, uh, obviously a terrible situation going on in the world, but we've been quite lucky to have, you know, family time because of it. It's been good. Uh, and sorry, did you say, so it's a, it's a, it's a boy. Sorry, I missed little, that. Little boy, yeah. Little boy. So you, <laughs> he's crying. part of the, he's part of the, uh, what's called the, the, the COVID, the COVID newborn. That's, that's COVID kids. Yeah. COVID kids. That's how they go. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Quarantines in a few years. Quarantine. Um, <laughs> now, nah, congratulations. That's, that's, <laughs> that's priceless. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then, um, just to get the, the ball rolling, could you kindly just tell the audience a bit more uh, how you started your coffee journey? Yeah, so I grew up really kind of not interested in nice food. Well, not, not interested, but I wasn't really adventurous with food and drink, kind of liked to just have things I knew. And then when I turned 16, finished my exams, I went out to get my first job and got two offers, one in a restaurant, one in a phone shop, and decided to go with the restaurant that kind of changed my career path completely. So yeah, kind of learned how to appreciate food. There's a really good chef there who's still one of my best friends. He showed me what good food is. I was making pretty horrific coffee, I think. Um, I was working in the kitchen and also making coffee. And then, yeah, just carried on through different bars and restaurants. Really kind of, when I turned 18, I started working on the bar, which was a cool adventure. And just wanted to learn as much as I could possibly about every drink I was serving. Because if I wanted to do the job, I wanted to do it well, you know. So that was that was my kind of childhood into adulthood growing experience. Uh, went to Australia and kind of learned a little bit more, which is the cliche thing to do, but it's true. Um, and then, yeah, came back and was like really focused on the two worlds of coffee and cocktails and how to kind of bring them together. And, and obviously that worked out quite well for you. Uh, not to begin with. <laughs> well, no, no, but like, no, like, consider everything. I think uh, yeah. many of us are grateful that you chose the restaurants uh, yeah. in the in that very early decision. I think 
I think it's interesting because at ninety nine percent of the people that I've been talking to, and um, it's it's coffee finding us rather than us looking for coffee. Like you say, you had little interest into food. Yeah. She, she's interesting in that, and, and then and then you sort of kind of that passion grew and grew and grew, and you were just hungry, and you sort of went for more competitive and, and, and competitions as well kind of started playing yeah. a role. It was um, more because I'd seen these competitions happening in the world and I was just like that's so cool but like I wouldn't even know where to start so I kind of read every book I could possibly find on cocktails on coffee just to try and develop my skills and I kind of got to a point where I figured the best way to push myself is to enter a competition and get myself out of my comfort zone so I did it um, just entered pretty much all the competitions, <laughs> which is not a good thing to do, I would probably recommend, um, to try and learn what I was interested in. And then Coffee and Good Spirits was the one that I really, uh, the Barista Championship I love, but I like to have a little bit more creative freedom. So I think, uh, yeah, Coffee and Good Spirits, you're pretty much completely in control, in, the drink, in control of the drinks you make. Whereas the Barista Championship, there's a lot of variables that are difficult to control. So yeah, six was the way I kind of really focused. I carried on doing the VCs, because I wasn't making coffee every day and I wanted to kind of keep learning about coffee and staying on top of trends and making sure my skills stayed, uh, well, servable. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, coffee good spirits was something I always worked on as well. And, and, and something that always kind of astonished me about coffee in, in good spirits is um, just, do you, I mean, I'm going to be quite blunt about it, but when you practice, do you pretty much get, get smashed every single every single <laughs> day it's a it's a weird like uh contrast isn't it because you're really caffeinated and you're really like trying not to drink too much so it is a weird one but i think i did some really long days and by one o'clock in the afternoon i was just like well i need to like stop eat eating is key and like being as rigid and not a rigid but structured with your training as you can be because a 12-hour day tasting drinks all day just isn't productive way to spend time you need to maybe like allocate two or three hours for tasting two or three hours for getting weird like glassware and whatever it might be a couple of hours for something else so it's a weird one the last probably the last kind of 10 percent of the training is very much run through after run through but up until then i was trying to do a few bits and pieces each day in order to make sure everything tasted good but i had everything i needed everyone was like yeah it was a long process but it's a good one it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is. I just, I just picture, yeah, because because we just other competition is a lot about tasting that coffee and you know, the routine and um, experimenting. Um, and look, coffee obviously has, if you have too much, there's a bit of issue there. But because um, you you don't just have to taste your drink, you gotta taste each and single individual ingredients to pick the right. Uh, spirit the right yeah. uh, combination so that's a fun thing though that's uh my favorite part when i've got an idea in my head and i'm like right today i need to do a whiskey tasting or whatever <laughs> it might be and that's like not my job but it's something i have to do so yeah there's a lot of cool elements to it that are much more fun than uh being super caffeinated in the middle of the night it's like morning <laughs> <laughs> um, um and going back to to the competition uh, i believe that you the only person on earth to won back to back uh, to WBC uh, consecutively. Um, how defining was for you winning the first 
and Dan Orza the second? The, I think the first, I didn't. So I, I started competing in 2012, which was quite a long time ago. I feel like a lot's changed in the world since 2012. Um, <laughs> and the first year I got quite close to the world championships. I came fourth in South Korea. And then I just kept wanting to improve on that year after year. But actually, I was also studying. I was also working and everything else. So I probably was just developing my skills for like five years. For 2018, it's the first year I just focused completely on coffee and good spirits. So 16, I was in the BCs as well. But yeah, 2018, I had this idea, which I was really keen to deliver. I really believed in it. Um, had really good people behind well, like working with me kind of behind the scenes as well, which is really important. And, but to be fair, I came off stage after the finals in 2018 and I was like, yeah, I mean, I haven't won. <laughs> There's no way I've won because I had issues with my cream. But uh, then, they, yeah, they announced it and I was like, oh man, did not expect that at all. Then 2019 was the complete opposite experience. I came in, didn't really have any expectations necessarily of winning. Or results I just wanted to deliver the drinks I've spent three years um, making or well, two and a half years from like concept to world championships and I was like I came on stage and I was like that's the first time I've ever finished and just been completely content and happy with what I've done so that was a really good feeling and then obviously winning is an amazing feeling but it was more the fact that I came off stage completely happy with what I delivered was the biggest win for me so very different feelings that's that's imp amazing and at the same time impressive because I still think that winning uh, two world championships uh, in, in a row. I mean, Lewis said uh, Danny's pretty good, and uh, yeah, I think I think I think you probably know him too. Um, but yeah, and uh, yeah, he's pretty good, isn't he? Um, and obviously, like you just said, you just said that you kind of completed a three-year journey just with the delivery of that drink. Yeah. Uh, so competing is safe to say it's not a stroll in the park, whereas latte art, whereas coughing good spirit or barista or any of those categories, both mentally and physically, and also financially, because those whiskeys must be pretty expensive for you to taste. Um, what would you say to people who want to get into it um, and those who are new to the competition gig? In time, well, in terms of what you just said, like the most expensive isn't necessarily the tastiest. Like there's um, a lot of good ingredients out there that are, you know, 40 pounds a bottle as opposed to 400 pounds a bottle. And it's not about choosing the most, like, you know, the most expensive coffee in the world isn't necessarily the tastiest coffee in the world. It's what mm. you do with it. <clears throat> and there's lots of coffees that are much cheaper, but are equally delicious in a different context. Lewis needs to calm down. I'm not, there's no three P going on here, my friend. <laughs> he keeps saying it all, <laughs> over and over. Um, so yeah, don't be intimidated by price. I think, you know, you can, you can make a really good cup of coffee with a house blend if you put the care and attention into it and, you know, serve it with really good ingredients, really well steamed milk. The same applies for coffee and good spirits. You can make a banging drink with a standard kind of priced coffee, standard spirit, whatever it might be, and a little bit of thought and invention. So that's, yeah, don't build barriers for yourself because you assume it's just out of reach. There are costs, of course, but there are in any competition. But you can always reach out to coffee roasters, you can reach out to spirit brands. And if they give you one bottle, then that's enough to probably make like 30 drinks. So you've got a pretty good bit of experimentation there. 
Mm-hmm. And then in terms of reaching out, do you feel that it's, it's an obvious, it's an obvious question, but how important is to have also good mentor, someone who knows what you're uh, kind of taking the road onto someone who can, someone who's actually been there, done that. Yeah. I think, um, part like having good people who understand all elements of competition is so important. Like you can never do something on your own. It's just so much to do. So you need to choose people who have strengths where your weaknesses lie, I think. So, and are really supportive people around you. So if you have a family or partners, just be like, this is a lot of work. Like be prepared that I will probably be quite busy thinking about these things. Don't underestimate how much goes into these things. But yeah, if you can have as many, not as many people as possible, but a select group of people who you trust, who you know can pick up where you probably don't, aren't completely strong, then that will set you off really well. And it's very much like a team game. Obviously there's one person on stage, but there's so many people who put different elements into the routine, who put ideas across, even if they put an idea across and you're like, no, that's not what I want to do, but it makes you second guess what you're already doing. That's a really good thing because you justify it to yourself as well. Makes absolute sense. And um, I want to kind of, I usually ask this question around coffee, the fact that coffee is such a, uh, it's so, a lot, lots of people, lots of us give it just for granted. And yet between, uh, uh, you know, uh, price and climate change, there's a lot of obstacles and, you know, it's actually quite an endangered species to, to a certain extent. And I'm glad that, because usually I make the comparison to wine or spirits, You've worked with both, so do you, do you what, what, what would you take out of spirits and out of the alcohol kind of uh, sphere of the game, sort of kind of incorporate that into coffee, just in terms of making coffee more viable? Um, I think, like, support is just all you can give. Like, there is so much value to a raw ingredient. But if you send someone a raw ingredient who doesn't know how to utilize it, the raw ingredient is, has no value, really. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I've been really, really fortunate to build relationships with coffee farmers. And the, the quality of the coffee obviously speaks for itself. But the fact that they support and are willing to experiment, like in Berlin, all of the coffee farmers who grew, all the farm owners who grew my coffee were there in the crowd, which was like, an amazing thing um and like it's not necessarily that those two coffees are the best coffees in the world although i think they're pretty up there uh it's more the fact that it was a really close relationship and i was able to deliver exactly the drinks i wanted to because they were there to support i could have probably mm-hmm. made similar drinks by picking a you know any coffee off the shelf and it would have been comparable but the fact that it had the added, added story the added message the added kind of meaning i think really helped so but yeah, in terms of like making coffee more valuable from a spirit side of things, I think there's a lot we can learn from their creativity and experimentation. We, as an industry, don't really have the same um, structures in place for how to sell coffee as they do in spirits. So spirit brands obviously have so many different levels of kind of ambassadors, salespeople, uh, supply chain, etc. Obviously, we do have that in coffee, but I think it's really important for people to understand why their product is good, which is why they have, I guess, ambassadors. Whereas coffee is just like sold on the strength of the product, I think. 
So. Well, yeah, and I, and, and I like what you said and we go going because I think uh, we often – we often sort of kind of look the other way. It's like, no, we're doing it this way. That's it. Leave us alone. But I think there's always valuable aspects in looking at what other industries, other companies, uh, they do. I uh, had an interesting conversation with Andre last week, and he just changed my entire world within that conversation around commercial coffee and how, well, you know, there's obviously something right and something that's doing it in the correct way that we can learn from. And, uh, and it's quite interesting. And when you talk about ambassadors, you're right. Uh, I think that there's a few, even though they're not, they're, the business card doesn't say ambassadors, but yeah, we, we probably would benefit out of some, yeah, the structure of it, I think, yeah. Well, if you think about the coffees that have succeeded in WBC and Brewers Cup over the past, realistically, like six, five, well, five or six years, I don't know the facts or statistics, but I would imagine a high percentage of those come from a very small percentage of coffee farmers who you could tell me their name. Like, you've got your famous coffee farmers, you've got your famous kind of baristas representing them. But actually, the world is full of really great coffee. Just because they don't have a name associated with it doesn't mean it's not a quality product. So I think if we can get out there and kind of support the underdog um, coffee farmers and just try and broaden that spectrum, I think it's going to be more sustainable for everybody. Which, which birds, it's... <laughs> We kind of bring it down to, to what you just said. I think it's super connected to that relationship building that you had, you know, you had amongst your crowd watching you and uh, long-term meaningful relationship, um, even though you might compromise because you might, you know, often every year end up buying similar or the same coffee from the same coffee farms, but you're building such a much longer and stronger relationship that would have more a more impact uh, for them and uh, overall the representation of that coffee. Yeah, exactly. I just think, I think it's um, important we don't just focus on the 1% because actually, you know, there are lots of really good coffee farmers and producers out there. So, yeah, hopefully yeah. we can try and broaden our spectrum a little bit. And speaking of Andre, he just dropped in. Thank you, Dan. That was such an important message. <laughs> and yes, I agree with Andre. <laughs> um, it's funny. We just mentioned it. Um, <laughs> but also, I should say, there's nothing inherently wrong with that 1%. They're, they're also producing incredible coffees. And if they can pass on their kind of uh, experiences and qualities, then yeah, hopefully the, that 1% will grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, there is. I think, I think your message was just quite, quite clear in the fact that there is just a matter of recognition and representations amongst the entire the, the, the entire scope and that you're right yeah and uh, i kind of said this a few times in this podcast but i think we often forget that coffee it's still quite young even if we consider coffee uh, 50 years ago it's still young 50 years is not much but especially if we consider uh, you know uh, let's say competition or uh, let's call it specialty even though it's a word that's been abused but Let's just go specialty. It's super young. So I think there is a lot more for us to see and taste and uh, hopefully we'll have be more sustainable impact when it comes to farm at origin because that's that really what, what matters the most for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's the same with, if you look at the whiskey industry, they're obviously a much more long-term, uh, they have longer-term heritage than probably we do doing what we're doing. But now they're going through a cycle of innovation and kind of recreation 
So all of the kind of heritage brands are trying to rebrand, they're trying to pull out new experimental products. And I think the coffee industry has probably fast tracked that in you know, a tenth of the time. But I think it's probably a good thing that we're trying to be a little bit more creative. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I, think, and I think we just can see the evolution of competitions. I, a few months back, I interviewed Team Wendable and, and I watched his WBC competition and to see that video, it just puts a lot of perspective because I've seen, you know, even mice, Melbourne International Coffee Expo and the Australian Nationals was so much bigger. Yeah. And that's just national. Uh, the world is, it's again, another, 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 yeah. even another dimension. And um, going back to, to, to the people and the connection with coffee, um, what's, what sort of element do you think it's important for coffee roasters but also consumers to consider before purchasing a coffee? Whether it's at the coffee shop, whether it's online, whether it is green. From my kind of coffee cocktail point of view, I always try and build drinks with a story. So, you know, a nice drink is a nice drink, but a nice drink which you can tell a story alongside, which the re if the drink has a reason to exist, I think that's so much more valuable. And that was the key turning point of my competition career. Like I used to focus on making drinks that were nice, whereas now I try and create experiences that all tie in together and are more meaningful, I think. So people always have a theme for competitions, but I think you need to have like a reason as opposed to a theme. Like why, I was, whenever I'm coaching people, I'm saying, right, why do you want to preserve this, uh, present this drink? Why do you want to serve it on stage? Why are you even doing the competition? Um, and whatever that answer is, generally I'm like, that should be your speech. <laughs> because if, if you want to, you know, if you want to talk about anything, as long as you care about it, that will come across. Whereas if you just pull a theme out of anywhere, it's probably not quite as uh, easy to talk about. It, it, yes, it's such a small word. It's such a small word, right? Three letters and such a much bigger meaning to it. I think often it's more focused on the how, the what, yeah. but the why and the story. I like what you said about story. I think we often forget that humans in general, we were born around storytelling, uh, sitting in a cave and, and drawing the stories in the cave or watching the stars and making the stories of stars and constellations. And, and we sort of kind of, maybe sometimes we forget that. And, and there is a story to be told um, about the people who pick that coffee, um, how it's been roasted, how it's been presented. And for you, ultimately, the two drinks, uh, I mean, the two combined uh, with, with the spirits. And I think... Ultimately, you've done justice to, to the story and then the results, as long as you've done justice to the story, the results are just a consequence of it. But then you have represented more, you've just presented more than just a drink. Exactly, yeah. And I think it's the same with buying coffee as well. If you have a reason to buy from a particular origin, particular family, particular farm, whatever, then that is a sales pitch to me. And I'm like, okay, great, I'll buy it. Whereas if it's just like, this is nice, I'm like, yeah, but... A lot of coffee's nice. Like, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's an easy sales pitch, but it has to be authentic. Yeah, authentic, and 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 it it goes in so many facets. In the sense of, there's no right or wrong. You could be buying a coffee because uh, I just watched James Hoffman, one of the latest YouTube videos he dropped, talking about these YouTubers creating their own coffee brands. That's fine. 
if you're one of those YouTubers subscriber, there's a reason why you buy that coffee. That's fine. Or you like, uh, I don't know, James Brodsky Instagram stories of him going to the jungle of Panama uh, amongst this amazing coffee, and you love it, and you're so intrigued by it. Yeah. Buy it from there. It, it, yeah, you're right. And, and you'll find it. Once you find out why, things become slightly more easy, or things just kind of fall into place, because you yeah. kind of know where you're going. Yeah, I like that. And um, there's someone missing in the chat, and uh, that's Bag. You possibly probably know him and uh, he always asked this question and he was really keen to have you on so I'm gonna ask the question he always asks on his podcast but he's working at the bar the cafe um, who has inspired you in life and coffee that's his always his signature uh, question um, I think a lot of the it's good to go back to your kind of root cause isn't it so when I first went and worked in that restaurant a friend of mine, Lee, he's a chef, he doesn't work in coffee at all. Um, he almost force fed me like things that I would never be interested in trying. So I think that was a really good turning point. Um, I think anyone who like supports you and pushes you to do these things, even if it's difficult at times. So like my fiance, Emma, my family um, have always like stood by me and just been like, yeah, you can do it. So that always really helps. I think it's easy to get to a certain point in competitions and just be like, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. But actually, if you have people who support you and believe in you, you're like, yeah, keep going. Like, you can do it. That really helps a lot as well. Um, and then obviously, like, moving forward into the kind of competition spectrum, there's like, a, not a small group of us, but a close group of us who have always done competitions together. Um, Paul and Will, who have... They're UK competitors, both going to World this year. We've always kind of tried to push each other and loads of other people as well, Dana Regan. Um, and we kind of created our own micro team of, or I don't know, whether we were teams or competitors, I don't know, but we were kind of both. And we just kind of pushed each other to improve as much as we could. And that was like a nice um, community that we had for a few years going. So uh, along the way, there's lots of different inspirations, I think. Um, it wouldn't be fair just to say one particular moment does it because I think you have to keep being inspired in order to keep competing. So yeah, there's a lot of different things out there. And then even going into the spirit world, like specifically for this year, I was inspired by one particular whiskey, which then I built a drink around and I met the guy who created the whiskey. So that was a cool thing. So mm -hmm. yeah, a lot. I think you have to really look hard for inspiration and when it strikes, make sure you remember because it's easy to forget these things yeah no absolutely and uh it's just it's just interesting because i think that each answers these questions they're all they're all right for that person who's answering the question so yeah. of course of course yeah, exactly. um and um and that's something that he 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 always asks so i felt Obliged because he, he couldn't make it because it's working now. And he's not a company too, so I was like, "Well, yeah, um, cool." And we so we kind of reached the halfway mark, so it's a ritual out of the box question. When we reach the halfway mark, uh, hope you're prepared. Um, <laughs> if, <laughs> um, if you could, who would you like to have dinner with? And it can be anyone, any industries. Uh, doesn't matter. Has to be. Doesn't have to be coffee or spirits. Whoever yeah. you want. It's your dinner. It would, I think Dave Grohl. I just think 
he's a genius and from Foo Fighters and Nirvana, I guess. Um, I just think he also loves coffee, which is an interesting thing, but I suspect we probably wouldn't talk about coffee. <laughs> I just think he's had <laughs> such an interesting life and he just seems like such a good character. But uh, yeah, I think he would probably be pretty up there. You were prepared. That's good. Usually well, people think so, wow, that's, good. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, I just, every time I watch him, he makes me crack up. And I know it's not probably not as meaningful as a lot of the other answers, but I have to answer the questions, right? Oh, mate, I've had, I've had, I've had a lot of answers. Someone said me, someone said people who passed away, someone people, there's an interesting, someone said uh, to me recently, they want to have dinner with someone who is in the future so from a hundred years you know like ahead yeah. uh, so every answer is unique that's that's yeah. cool that's cool um, um and going back to to those questions um in your words because uh, you've experienced it on your skin what would you say to the people who want to chase their uh, coffee dream or their passion it doesn't have to be coffee but they're sort of stuck in what's considered a good job or what, you know, stopped by family or judgment, fear of judgment or yeah. society. I think um, you just have to do what you enjoy. Like, if you love what you do, you can always create new paths down that kind of um, that route. I've been very lucky. Like, my job, I guess, now is doing things I never thought I would do maybe because of COVID and the lockdown, but it's all related to coffee and alcohol, which are the things I really enjoy. So now I'm basically like making and editing videos around coffee and cocktails, which is really cool. Um, there's a lot of things I never thought I'd be doing, but because it ties into the core thing that I do enjoy, it feels not like a job because I genuinely enjoy it. Um, if I were making videos about something I didn't care about, maybe it'd be much harder. But I think because I'm able to talk about the things I really enjoy, that I've been, yeah, really enjoying the process. And I think as long as people genuinely enjoy what they do, there will be no judgment. Like, you could say any job in the world, and if you follow it with, but I do actually genuinely love it, I don't think anyone will hold that against you. Absolutely. And uh, the other part that I think often people sort of, it's important to find it's not just the passion, but also where do, which role and where do you fall in, right? Because someone might decide coffee it is, but it could be a thousand different jobs. It could be what you just said that works quite well for you. It could be roasting, own a coffee shop, um, be a blogger, a photographer, a, a judge, a competitor. There is so many, but, but I think it's important to to find to find that role, and I think that often is interconnected with the second passion. It's like a like a like an underlayer. Okay, your passion is coffee. Okay, yeah. that that's big. That's fine. It's a big umbrella. What's right underneath? So, how did you find that second think, layer of passion? I think the second layer. Well, actually, I'd probably the first layer to be fair is what kind of person you are. So. I, I think as a person, I'm like organized and like to do things in an organized way, <laughs> um, which ties into video editing really well because you have to have like these tiny little things moved around, which probably would drive some people crazy, but I find it quite satisfying. Um, but then again, really creative, really artistic people, which 
I'm probably not really, um, would approach things in a completely different way, but be equally effective. So you have to kind of understand, sounds quite deep, understand what kind of person you are in order to work out where you want to go with your kind of hobbies and skills, I guess. Um, just don't, don't do anything you hate. I know it's really difficult to say because a lot of people don't have choice, but if you approach it in a way you enjoy, you'll probably find a lot more happiness from it, perhaps. Which is really entangled with that why concept that you touched base on before, I think. Once you find a purpose and that drive, then everything sort of falls into place. Uh, yeah. And it's more, just in, just done in much more genuine way, in, in a genuine way, because it's something that's so clear, you know, like it, it's so obvious to people that that's what drives you. And yeah. uh, that's really important, that's for sure. If you're looking for, well, anything, employment or kind of partnerships, approach the brands and people you really like genuinely because if you if anyone came to my business for example and said i love i don't have a business of products per se but if someone came to me and said i love your products and i really want to tell people how great they are that's like oh wow thank you because actually a lot of people don't go out of their way to say that whereas if it's just like can i have a job that feels kind of hollow so even if it's someone you think would never ever respond they probably will um, even if it's just to say thank you, we don't have any work necessarily now, but we really appreciate the kind words. That'll keep that keep you in the back of their mind as like a potential person in the future. So, yeah, focus on what you enjoy and believe in. I think. I, I love I love that you said that today because uh, it, it it literally happened to me uh, four minutes before we went live. I can't say who, but I just received an email and. Uh, it's, 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 you know, um, yeah, you're right. I think, I think I just received an email from someone and uh, I have to leave it there in terms of reaching out and, uh, and, you know, the, the first email went just, you know, that person replied, no, thank you. Um, and, and it's not, this is not monetized. Like, this is not even money making. It's not even business. It's uh, more things that I enjoy. And, uh, and now I sent a second email with a different spin. Um, and yeah, this person replied, "Yeah, I could do that. Cool. Um, yeah, but you, you, you will see in a few weeks." Um, and you're right. I think I think it's all about also three points. Don't have expectations because the minute that you have expectation and you have such a high sense of entitlement, which is okay, we're human. But if you have the expectations of receiving a yes, then. Uh -uh. Try to add value to that person, whether it's, hey, I would love to work with you and a cost of, I don't know, do it for free for a week or for a month, or I'll do all your social media, like like a little bit of add value. Yeah. And being comfortable with no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. With the word no. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I think people don't pay attention to the lows. And I think we've got like a general lifestyle where we focus on the successes, but kind of ignore the defeats, I guess. But, you know, I, in competition, spent a long time not winning before I started getting those kind of um, championships, I guess. Um, but actually, they're probably the ones that fortified my kind of uh, skills and commitment to doing better. 
Whereas if that first year when I competed and I'd probably done, if I'd have won in that first year, I probably would have never gone back. Probably not made the most out of it. Probably never have built the career that I have done because I feel like it was. Good morning. Good, good morning to you. Good evening to me. Hey man, how are you? Fantastic. How are you traveling? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Just uh, pretty much staying home these days because of everything that's going on. But no, it's good. Yeah, and uh, thank you. Thank you so much for, for giving us an hour of your time. I know they, no you're still busy uh, with, between family and uh, business commitments. <laughs> and I'm, uh, in every sense, the busiest I've ever been right now, which is cool. It's, uh, I'm a lot of people lucky enough to be in that position. So, yeah, it's, uh, nice to be doing stuff. Uh, yeah, no, I'm very, very happy that you could make it because I was uh, looking forward to meet you and uh, have a chat with you and uh, just... Just go with, the, go with the mojo. And um, just before we get started, uh, you you and your family doing well, consider yeah. all? Yeah, really good, thank you. He, um, so our little boy was born in the middle of March, so he's five months old now. We've basically spent almost every day together, which is really cool. A lot of people don't get that opportunity. So and it's, uh, obviously a terrible situation going on in the world, but we've been quite lucky to have you know family time because of it. It's been good. Uh, and sorry, did you say so? It's a, it's a, it's a boy. Sorry, I missed little, that. Little boy, yeah. Little boy. So you, <laughs> he, he's part of the, he's part of the. Uh, what's called the, the, the COVID, the COVID newborn. That's that's COVID it. kids. Yeah. COVID kids. That's how they go. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> Quarantines in a few years. The quarantine. Um, <laughs> now, nah, congratulations. That's that's. That's <laughs> priceless. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and then um, just to get the, the ball rolling, could you kindly just tell the audience a bit more uh, how you started your coffee journey? Yeah, so I grew up really kind of not interested in nice food. Well, not, not interested, but I wasn't really adventurous with food and drink, kind of liked to just have things I knew. And then when I turned 16, finished my exams, I went out to get my first job and got two offers, one in a restaurant, one in a phone shop, and decided to go with the restaurant. And that kind of changed my career path completely. So yeah, kind of learned how to appreciate food. There's a really good chef there who's still one of my best friends. He showed me what good food is. I was making pretty horrific coffee, I think. Um, I was working in the kitchen and also making coffee. And then, yeah, just carried on through different bars and restaurants, really kind of when I turned 18, I started working on the bar, which was a cool adventure, and just wanted to learn as much as I could possibly about every drink I was serving, because if I wanted to do the job, I wanted to do it well, you know. So that was that was my kind of childhood into adulthood growing experience. Uh, went to Australia and kind of learned a little bit more, which is the cliche thing to do, but it's true. Um, and then, yeah, came back and was like really focused on the two worlds of coffee and cocktails and how to kind of bring them together. And, and obviously, that worked out quite well for you. Uh, not to begin with. <laughs> well, no, no, but like, no, like, considering everything, I think uh, yeah. many of us are grateful that you chose the restaurants uh, okay. in the in that very early decision. I think, I think it's interesting because ninety nine percent of the people that I've been talking to, and um, it's it's coffee finding us rather than us looking for coffee. Like you say, you had little interest into. Food, yeah. she, she's interesting in that, and, and then and then you sort of kind of 
that passion grew and grew and grew and you were just hungry and you sort of went for a more a competitive and, and, and competitions as well kind of started yeah. playing a role. It was um, more because I'd seen these competitions happening in the world and I was just like, that's so cool. But like, I wouldn't even know where to start. So I kind of read every book I could possibly find on cocktails, on coffee, just to try and develop my skills. And I kind of got to a point where I figured the best way to push myself is to enter a competition and get myself out of my comfort zone. So I did it. Um, just entered pretty much all the competitions, <laughs> which is not a good thing to do, I would probably recommend. Um, to try and learn what I was interested in. And then Coffee and Good Spirits was the one that I really, uh, the Barista Championship I love, but I like to have a little bit more creative freedom. So I think, uh, yeah, Coffee and Good Spirits, you're pretty much completely in control, in, the drink, in control of the drinks you make. Whereas the Barista Championship, there's a lot of variables that are difficult to control. So yeah, six was the way I kind of really focused. I carried on doing VCs because I wasn't making coffee every day and I wanted to kind of keep learning about coffee and staying on top of trends and making sure my skills stayed, uh, well, servable. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, coffee experience was something I always worked on as well. And, and, and something that always kind of astonished me about coffee in good spirits is um, just, do you, I mean, I'm going to be quite blunt about it, but when you practice, do you pretty much get, get, get smashed every single, every single <laughs> well, day? Uh, it's, a, it's a weird, like, uh, contrast, isn't it? Because you're really caffeinated and you're really, like, trying not to drink too much. So it is a weird one, but I think... I did some really long days and by one o'clock in the afternoon, I was just like, well, I need to like stop, eat. Eating is key and like being as rigid and not a rigid, but structured with your training as you can be because a 12 hour day tasting drinks all day just isn't a productive way to spend time. You need to maybe like allocate two or three hours for tasting, two or three hours for getting weird like glassware and whatever it might be, a couple of hours for something else. So it's a weird one. The last, probably the last kind of, 10% of the training is very much run through after run through. But up until then, I was trying to do a few bits and pieces each day in order to make sure everything tasted good, but I had everything I needed. Everyone was like, yeah, it was a long process, but it's a good one. It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it is. I just, I just picture, yeah, because we've just other competition is a lot about tasting that coffee and you know, the routine and um, experimenting um, and look coffee obviously has if you have too much there's a bit of issue there but because um, you you don't just have to taste your drink you gotta taste each and single individual ingredients to pick the right uh, spirit the right yeah. uh, combination so that's a fun thing though that's uh, my favorite part when i've got an idea in my head and I'm like, right, today I need to do a whiskey tasting or whatever it might be. And that's like, not my job, but it's something I have to do. So yeah, there's a lot of cool elements to it that are much more fun than uh, being super caffeinated in the middle of the night. It's like, morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and going back to, to the competition, uh, I believe that you're the only person on earth to won back to back to Dharma QBC uh, consecutively. Um, how defining was for you winning the first and then also the second? The, I think the first, I didn't. So I, I started competing in 2012, which was quite a long time ago. I feel like a lot's changed in the world since 2012. Um, hmm. 
and the first year I got quite close to the world championships, I came fourth in South Korea. And then I just kept wanting to improve on that year after year. But actually I was also studying, I was also working and everything else. So I probably was just developing my skills for like five years. For 2018, it's the first year I just focused completely on Coffee and Good Spirits. So 16, I was in the BCs as well. But yeah, 2018, I had this idea, which I was really keen to deliver. I really believed in it. Um, had really good people behind, well, like working with me, kind of behind the scenes as well, which is really important. And, but to be fair, I came off stage after the finals in 2018. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I haven't won. <laughs> There's no way I've won, because I had issues with my cream. But uh, then, they, yeah, they announced it, and I was like, oh man, did not expect that at all. Then 2019 was the complete opposite experience. I came in, didn't really have any expectations necessarily of winning or results. I just wanted to deliver the drinks I've spent three years um, making, or two and a half years from like concept to world championships. And I was like, I came on stage, I was like, that's the first time I've ever finished and just been completely content and happy with what I've done. So that was a really good feeling. And then obviously winning is an amazing feeling. But it was more the fact that I came off stage completely happy with what I delivered was the biggest win for me. So I, I, very different feelings. That's, that's amazing. And at the same time, impressive, because I still think that winning uh, two world championships uh, in, in a row. I mean, Lewis said uh, Danny's pretty good. And uh, yeah, I think, I, think, I think you probably know him too. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, he's pretty good, isn't he? Um, and obviously, like you just said, you just said that you kind of completed a three-year journey just with the delivery of that drink. Yeah. Uh, so competing is safe to say it's not a stroll in the park, whereas latte art, whereas coughing good spirit or barista or any of those categories, both mentally and physically, and also financially, because those whiskeys must be pretty expensive for you to taste. Um, what would you say to people who want to get into it um, and those who are new to the competition gig? In time, well, in terms of what you just said, like the most expensive isn't necessarily the tastiest. Like there's um, a lot of good ingredients out there that are, you know, 40 pounds a bottle as opposed to 400 pounds a bottle. And it's not about choosing the most, like, you know, the most expensive coffee in the world isn't necessarily the tastiest coffee in the world. It's what you do with it. <clears throat> and there's lots of coffees that are much cheaper, but equally delicious in a different context. Lewis needs to calm down. I'm not, there's no three P going on here, my friend. <laughs> he keeps saying that <laughs> over and over. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, don't be intimidated by price. I think, you know, you can, you can make a really good cup of coffee with a house blend if you put the care and attention into it and, you know, serve it with really good ingredients, really well steamed milk. The same applies for coffee and good spirits. You can make a banging drink with a standard kind of priced coffee, standard spirit, whatever it might be, and a little bit of thought and invention. So that's, yeah, don't build barriers for yourself because you assume it's just out of reach. There are costs, of course, but there are in any competition, but you can always reach out to coffee roasters, you can reach out to spirit brands. And if they give you one bottle, then that's, enough to probably make like 30 drinks so you've got a pretty good bit of experimentation there mm -hmm. yeah. and then in terms of reaching out do you feel that it's it's an obvious it's an obvious question but how important is to have also good mentor 
someone who knows what you're kind of taking the road on to someone who can someone who's actually been there done that yeah i think um part like having good people who understand all elements of competition is so important like you can never do something on your own it's just so much to do so you need to choose people who have strengths where your weaknesses lie i think so and have really supportive people around you so if you have a family or partners just be like this is a lot of work like be prepared that i will probably be quite busy thinking about these things don't underestimate how much goes into these things but yeah if you can have as many not as many people as possible but a select group of people who you trust who you know can pick up where you probably don't aren't completely strong then that will set you off really well and it's very much like a team game obviously there's one person on stage but there's so many people who put different elements into the routine who put ideas across even if they put an idea across and you're like no that's not what I want to do but it makes you second guess what you're already doing that's yeah. a really good thing because you justify it to yourself as well makes absolute sense and um i want to kind of i usually ask this question around coffee the fact that coffee is such a uh, it's so a lot lots of people lots of us give it just for granted and yet between uh, uh, you know uh, price and climate change there's a lot of obstacles and you know, it's actually quite an endangered species to, to a certain extent. And I'm glad that, because usually I make the comparison to wine or spirits. You've worked with both. So do you, do, what, what, what would you take out of spirits and out of the alcohol kind of uh, sphere of the game, sort of kind of incorporate that into coffee, just in terms of making coffee more viable? Um, I think like, support is just all you can give like there is so much value to a raw ingredient but if you send someone a raw ingredient who doesn't know how to utilize it the raw ingredient is has no value really so Mm -hmm. i don't know i've been really really fortunate to build relationships with coffee farmers and the the quality of the coffee obviously speaks for itself but the fact that they support and are willing to experiment like in berlin all of the coffee farmers who grew, all the farm owners who grew my coffee were there in the crowd, which was like an amazing thing. Um, and like, it's not necessarily that those two coffees are the best coffees in the world, although I think they're pretty up there. Uh, it's more the fact that it was a really close relationship and I was able to deliver exactly the drinks I wanted to because they were there to support. I could have probably mm-hmm. made similar drinks by picking a, you know, any coffee off the shelf and it would have been comparable. But the fact that it had the added story, the added message, the added kind of meaning, I think really helped. So, but yeah, in terms of like making coffee more valuable from a spirit side of things, I think there's a lot we can learn from their creativity and experimentation. We, as an industry, don't really have the same um, structures in place for how to sell coffee as they do in spirits. So spirit brands obviously have so many different levels of kind of ambassadors, salespeople, uh, supply chain, etc. Obviously, we do have that in coffee, but I think it's really important for people to understand why their product is good, which is why they have, I guess, ambassadors. Whereas coffee is just like sold on the strength of the product, I think. So. Well, yeah, and I, and, and I like what you said, and we go on because I think uh, we often we often sort of kind of look the other ways. Like, not we're doing it this way, that's it, leave us alone. But I think there's always valuable 
aspects in looking at what other industries, other companies uh, they do. I uh, had an interesting conversation with Andre last week, and he just changed my entire world within that conversation around commercial coffee and how, well, you know, there's obviously something right and something that's doing it in a correct way that we can learn from. And, uh, and it's quite interesting. And when you talk about ambassadors, you're right. Uh, I think that there's a few, even though they're not, they're, the business card doesn't say ambassadors, but yeah, we, we probably would benefit out of some, yeah, the structure of it, I think, yeah. Well, if you think about the coffees that have succeeded in WBC and Brewers Cup over the past, realistically, like six, five, well, five or six years, I don't know the facts or statistics, but I would imagine a high percentage of those come from a very small percentage of coffee farmers who you could tell me their name. Like, you've got your famous coffee farmers, you've got your famous kind of baristas representing them, but actually the world is full of really great coffee just because they don't have a name associated with it doesn't mean it's not a quality product. So I think if we can get out there and kind of support the underdog um, coffee farmers and just try and broaden that spectrum, I think it's going to be more sustainable for everybody. Which, which it's, we kind of bring it down to, to what you just said. I think it's super connected to that relationship building that you had, you know, you had amongst your crowd watching you and uh, long-term, meaningful relationship um even though you might compromise because you might you know often every year end up buying similar or the same coffee from the same coffee farms but you're building such a much longer and stronger relationship that would have more uh, a more impact uh, for them and uh, overall the representation of that coffee yeah exactly i just think i think it's um important we don't just focus on the one percent because actually you know there are lots of really good coffee farmers and producers out there. So yeah, hopefully yeah. we can try and broaden our spectrum a little bit. And speaking of Andre, he just dropped in. Thank you, Dan. That was such an important message. <laughs> and yes, I agree with Andre. <laughs> um, it's funny, we just mentioned it. Um, <laughs> but also I should say, there's nothing inherently wrong with that 1%. They're, they're also producing incredible coffees. And if they can pass on their kind of uh, experiences and qualities, then Hopefully that one percent will grow. Absolutely, absolutely. Of course, there is. I think I think your message was just quite quite clear in the fact that there is just a matter of recognition and representations amongst the entire the, the entire scope. And that you're right, yeah. And uh, I kind of said this a few times in this podcast, but I think we often forget that coffee it's still quite young. Even if we consider coffee uh, 50 years ago, it's still young. 50 years is not much. But especially if we consider, uh, you know, uh, let's say competition or uh, let's call it specialty, even though it's a word that's been abused. But let's just go specialty. It's super young. So I think there is a lot more for us to see and taste and uh, hopefully will have be more sustainable impact when it comes to farm and origin. Because that's that really what, what matters the most for sure. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's the same with, if you look at the whiskey industry, they're obviously a much more long-term, uh, they have a long longer-term heritage than probably we do doing what we're doing. But now they're going through a cycle of innovation and kind of recreation. So all of the kind of heritage brands are trying to rebrand. They're trying to pull out new experimental products. And I think the coffee industry has probably fast-tracked that in, you know, a tenth of the time. But 
I think it's probably a good thing that we're trying to be a little bit more creative. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think and I think we just can see the evolution of competitions. I a few months back I interviewed Team Winnable and and I watched his WBC competition and to see that video it just puts a lot of perspective because I've seen you know even mice Melbourne International Coffee Expo and the Australian Nationals was so much bigger yeah. and that's just national uh, the world it's, it's again another another another. Yeah. Even another dimension, and um, going back to 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 the people and the connection with coffee, um, what's what sort of element do you think it's important for coffee roasters, but also consumers, to consider before purchasing a coffee? Whether it's the coffee shop, whether it's online, whether it is green. From my kind of coffee cocktail point of view. I always try and build drinks with a story. So, you know, a nice drink is a nice drink, but a nice drink which you can tell a story alongside, which the re if the drink has a reason to exist, I think that's so much more valuable. And that was the key turning point of my competition career. Like I used to focus on making drinks that were nice, whereas now I try and create experiences that all tie in together and are more meaningful, I think. So people always have a theme for competitions but I think you need to have like a reason as opposed to a theme. Like why, I was, whenever I'm coaching people, I'm saying, right, why do you want to preserve this, uh, present this drink? Why do you want to serve it on stage? Why are you even doing the competition? Um, and whatever that answer is, generally I'm like, that should be your speech. <laughs> because if, if you want to, you know, if you want to talk about anything, as long as you care about it, that will come across. Whereas if you just pull a theme out of anywhere, it's probably not quite as, uh, easy to talk about it, it, yes it's such a small word it's such a small word right three letters and such a much bigger meaning to it i think often it's more focused on the how the what yeah. but the why and the story i like what you said about story i think we often forget that humans in general we were born around storytelling uh, sitting in a cave and and drawing the stories in the cave or watching the stars and making the stories of stars and constellations and and we sort of kind of maybe sometimes we forget that and, and there is a story to be told um about the people who pick that coffee um how it's been roasted how it's been presented and for you ultimately the two drinks uh, i mean the two combined uh, with with the spirits and i think ultimately you've done justice to to the story and then the results as long as you've done justice to the story the results are just a consequence of it but then you have represented more you've just presented more than just a drink exactly yeah and i think it's the same with buying coffee as well if you have a reason to buy from a particular origin a particular family a particular farm whatever then that is a sales pitch to me and i'm like okay great i'll buy it whereas if it's just like this is nice i'm like yeah but a lot of coffee's nice. Like, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's an easy sales pitch, but it has to be authentic. Yeah, authentic, and 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 it's, it goes in so many facets. In the sense of, there's no right or wrong. You could be buying a coffee because uh, I just watched James Hoffman, one of the latest YouTube videos he dropped, talking about these YouTubers creating their own coffee brands. That's fine if you're one of those YouTubers subscriber there's a reason why you buy that coffee, that's fine. Or you like, uh, I don't know, James Brodsky Instagram stories of him going to the jungle of Panama 
amongst this amazing coffee and you love it, you're so intrigued by it, buy yeah. it from there. It, yeah, you're right. And, and you'll find it. Once you find out why, things become slightly more easy or things just kind of fall into place because you yeah. kind of know where you're going. Yeah, I like that. And um, there's someone missing in the chat and uh, that's Bag. You possibly probably know him. And uh, he always asked this question and he was really keen to have you on. So I'm going to ask the question. He always asks on his podcast, but he's working at the bar, the cafe. Um, who has inspired you in life and coffee? That is always his signature uh, question. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of the, it's good to go back to your kind of root cause, isn't it? So when I first went and worked in that restaurant, a friend of mine, Lee, he's a chef, he doesn't work in coffee at all. Um, he almost force fed me like things that I would never be interested in trying. So I think that was a really good turning point. Um, I think anyone who like supports you and pushes you to do these things, even if it's difficult at times. So like my fiance, Emma, my family, um, have always like stood by me and just been like, yeah, you can do it. So that always really helps. I think it's easy to get to a certain point in competitions and just be like, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. But actually, if you have people who support you and believe in you, and you're like, yeah, keep going, like, you can do it. That really helps a lot as well. Um, and then obviously, like, moving forward into the kind of competition spectrum, there's like, a, not a small group of us, but a close group of us who have always done competitions together. Um, Paul and Will, who have their UK competitors both going to World this year. We've always kind of tried to push each other and loads of other people as well, Dana Regan. Um, and we kind of created our own micro team of, or I don't know, whether we were teams or competitors, I don't know, but we were kind of both. And we just kind of pushed each other to improve as much as we could. And that was like a nice um, community that we had for a few years going. So it, along the way, there's lots of different inspirations, I think. Um, it wouldn't be fair just to say one particular moment does it, because I think you have to keep being inspired in order to keep competing. So yeah, there's a lot of different things out there. And then even going into the spirit world, like specifically for this year, I was inspired by one particular whiskey, which then I built a drink around and I met the guy who created the whiskey. So that was a cool thing. So yeah, a lot, I think you have to really look hard for inspiration and when it strikes, make sure you remember because it's easy to forget these things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, it's just it's just interesting because I think that each answers these questions they're all they're all right for that person who's answering the question so yeah. of course of course yeah. um and um and that's something that he 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 always asks so I felt obliged because he, he couldn't make it because it's working now and he's not a company too so I was like well yeah um cool and we so we kind of reached the halfway mark, so it's a ritual out-of-the-box question when we reach the halfway mark. Uh, hope you're prepared. Um, <laughs> if, um, if you could, who would you like to have dinner with? And it can be anyone, any industries, uh, doesn't matter, has to be, doesn't have to be coffee or spirits, whoever yeah. you want, to your dinner. It would, I think Dave Grohl. I just think he's a genius and from Foo Fighters and Nirvana, I guess. Um, I just think he also loves coffee, which is an interesting thing. But I suspect we probably wouldn't talk about coffee. 
<laughs> I just think he's had <laughs> such an interest in life and he just seems like such a good character. But uh, yeah, I think he would probably be pretty up there. You were prepared. That's good. Well, Usually people think so, wow, that's, good. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah, I just, every time I watch him, he makes me crack up. And I know it's not probably not as meaningful as a lot of the other answers, but I have to answer the questions, right? Oh, mate, I've had, I've had, I've had a lot of answers. Someone said me, someone said people who passed away, someone people, there's interesting, someone said uh, to me recently, they want to have dinner with someone who is in the future. So from a hundred years, you know, like ahead. Yeah. Uh, so every answer is unique. That's, that's yeah. cool. That's cool. Um, um, <laughs> and going back to, to those questions, um, in your words, because uh, you've experienced it on your skin, what would you say to the people who want to chase their uh, coffee dream or their passion? It doesn't have to be coffee, but they're sort of stuck in what's considered a good job or what, you know, stopped by family or judgment, fear of judgment or yeah. society. I think um, you just have to do what you enjoy. Like, if you love what you do, you can always create new paths down that kind of um that route i've been very lucky like my job i guess now is doing things i never thought i would do maybe because of covid and the lockdown but it's all related to coffee and alcohol which are the things i really enjoy so now i'm basically like making and editing videos around coffee and cocktails which is really cool um there's a lot of things i never thought i'd be doing but because it ties into the core thing that i do enjoy it feels not like a job because I genuinely enjoy it. Um, if I were making videos about something I didn't care about, maybe it'd be much harder. But I think because I'm able to talk about the things that I really enjoy, that I've been yeah, really enjoying the process. And I think as long as people genuinely enjoy what they do, there will be no judgment. Like you could say any job in the world, and if you follow it with, but I do actually genuinely love it, I don't think anyone will hold that against you. Absolutely. And uh, the other part that I think often people sort of, it's important to find, it's not just the passion, but also where do, which role and where do you fall in, right? Because someone might decide coffee it is, but it could be a thousand different jobs. It could be what you just said that works quite well for you. It could be roasting, own a coffee shop. Um, be a blogger, a photographer, a, a judge, a competitor. There is so many, but, but I think it's important to to find to find that role. And I think that often is interconnected with the second passion. It's like a like a like an underlayer. Okay, your passion is coffee. Okay, yeah. that's that's big. That's fine. It's a big umbrella. What's right underneath? So, how did you find that second okay. layer of passion? I think the second layer, well, actually, probably the first layer, to be fair, is what kind of person you are. So I, mm, mm, mm -hmm. I think as a person, I'm like organized and like to do things in an or organized way, <laughs> um, which ties into video editing really well, because you have to have like these tiny little things moved around, which probably would drive some people crazy, but I find it quite satisfying. Um, but then again, really creative, really artistic people, which... I'm probably not really, um, would approach things in a completely different way, but be equally effective. So you have to kind of understand 
sounds quite deep, understand what kind of person you are in order to work out where you want to go with your kind of hobbies and skills, I guess. Um, just don't, don't do anything you hate. I know it's really difficult to say because a lot of people don't have choice, but if you approach it in a way you enjoy, you'll probably find a lot more happiness from it, perhaps. Which is really entangled with that why concept that you touched base on before. I think once you find that purpose and that drive, then everything sort of falls into place. Uh, and it's more... We just in just done in much more um, genuine way in, in a genuine way because it's something that's so clear you know like it it's so obvious to people that that's what drives you and yeah. uh, that's really important that's for sure if you're looking for well anything employment or kind of partnerships approach the brands and people you really like genuinely because if you, if anyone came to my business, for example, and said, I love, I don't have a business of products per se, but if someone came to me and said, I love your products and I really want to tell people how great they are, that's like, oh, wow, thank you. Because actually a lot of people don't go out of their way to say that. Whereas if it's just like, can I have a job? That feels kind of hollow. So even if it's someone you think would never ever respond, they probably will. Um, even if it's just to say, thank you, we don't have any work necessarily now but we really appreciate the kind words that will keep that keep you in the back of their mind as like a potential person in the future. So yeah, focus on what you enjoy and believe in, I think. I, I love, I love that you said that today because uh, it, it, it literally happened to me uh, four minutes before we went live. I can't okay. say who, but I just received an email and uh, it's, it, it's, you know, yeah, you're right. I think I think I just received an email from someone, and uh, I have to leave it there in terms of reaching out and uh, and you know the the first email went just you know that person replied no thank you um, and, and it's not this is not monetized like this is not even money making it's not even business it's uh, more things that I enjoy and uh, and now I sent a second email with a different spin um, and yeah this person replied yeah I could do that. Cool. Um, yeah, but you 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 will see in a few weeks. Um, and you're right. I think I think it's all about also three points. Don't have expectations because the minute that you have expectation and you have such a high sense of entitlement, which is okay, we're human. But if you have the expectations of receiving a yes, then uh -uh. try to add value to that person. Whether it's hey, I would love to work with you and a cost of, I don't know, do it for free for a week or for a month or I'll do all your social media, like like a little bit of value yeah. and being comfortable with no. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. With the word no. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I think people don't pay attention to the lows and I think we've got like a general lifestyle where we focus on the successes but kind of ignore the defeats I guess but you know I in competition spent a long time not winning before I started getting those kind of um, championships I guess um, but actually they're probably the ones that fortified my kind of uh, skills and commitment to doing better whereas if that first year when I competed and I'd probably done if I'd have won in that first year I probably would have never gone back probably not made the most out of it, probably never built the career that I have done because 
I felt like it was already done. But, you know, you spend a long time, you have to build towards something in order for it to be meaningful. Whereas if you just get, yes, get the job straight away, it doesn't feel as kind of worthwhile. It becomes easy and then, and then you kind of comply, you become compliant to that, uh, which, is, which is okay, which is okay. It's just the, it's just the way that, and I also think that People, people overthink the process when it comes to reaching out someone, it, it, especially in this day and age. I think there's a lot of negativity around social media, and that's not good there. You know, there's, I get it, you know, um, whether it's body dysmorphia, whether it's uh, comparing yourself, or mental health challenges, or, I don't know, agency, government agency control, whatever it is. Yeah. But on the other side, the sunny side, it's like it takes – very little to email, DM, message. And you can, mess, you can reach that person in so many formats from Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, emails. You can email twice if you want, maybe just his direct, his or her direct email and also the customer service line that you guarantee they're going to respond to you. Like without stalking, you know, let's, let's, let's be clear, without stalking, with touching, with again, a good mannerism, but it's okay. I think, I think, and without demanding, yeah, I think you're right. I think. Yeah, it's a it's a hyper connected world we're living, isn't it? Living so, mm-hmm. and I think if you like, I'm very fortunate to have coffee good spirits competitors reach out to me. Just like, obviously, I've never met them necessarily, but they're just like, "What do you think of this?" I'll always do my best to try and respond and just help out if I can. And I'm like, yeah, I think there everyone will always try and support people if people genuinely are interested in the same thing that you are. Yeah. I love it. I and love to talk about cooking experience. So like if people send me a message, I'm like, right, perfect. And then there's like a big scribe of uh, things going on after it. Yeah. And, and th- this happened even with me and yourself. I just sent you a message and you're like, sure. Okay, cool. Okay. Let's do it. Uh, that, that's how it happened. We never met first time that we that we talk. So it's, it's, I, I get it. I think it's I think it's important. And uh, and the worst come the worst scenario is they will not receive your message, so you don't have to feel bad about yourself because that message might be sitting in a spam box, might be sitting into the request box, and that person doesn't know of their requests, uh, or that person doesn't manage their own Instagram. Yeah, exactly. It's rarely because you don't know the person. It's never personal oh he said she said no because why we don't know each other so yeah but yeah again it's i think i think in our in our industry anyway like we're all probably quite supportive of one another because it is a very small industry i imagine we've got probably like hundreds of mutual friends so (laughs) (laughs) yeah we're all it's a global very small community really and, and and to add on to that, we also built the foundation on hospitality. Therefore, if we didn't have that mannerism of hospitality creates and generates and form and mold us, we would be in the wrong industry. So yeah, and we, we have we dealt can, with. I think we can all understand each other's uh, challenges as well. <laughs> like it's not as easy as it seems on the surface. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, no, that's this is very interesting. Um, I love this. It's great. I think, um, I hope that people will just pick, you know, just a fraction of what you said and I said. And I think that 
just go out there and reach out to the people that you know they want to reach out to for sure yeah. um and sort of going back to to, to the questions um this seems to be like you know hospitality we just spoke about it. i think it's a better question now hospitality is far from perfect um, if you could change one thing what would that be um I think more time to tell those, those stories, I would say. I know it's kind of on brand with what I've just said, but like actually my favorite, my, my favorite experience in a hospitality environment, if I'm like going out, I love to understand why the drinks exist. I know I'm probably within the niche of people who care, um, but actually I think more people would care if they had the time to hear it. So like, if I sit at a cocktail bar, I'd love to speak to the bartender and talk about what drinks they recommend, why they're excited about them. I think we're in such a fast-paced world that it's kind of difficult to share those kind of stories now, um, especially with COVID, because it's very much like transactional, in-and-out kind of service. Um, so, yeah, I think in the future, if we're able to spend more time communicating with guests, I think that adds a lot of value to the things we serve to them. Could you then see an advantage or a tool of solution uh, technology when it comes to this? For instance, the people who really want to hear those stories to be able to connect with, let's say, yourself on a, a private, I don't know, Google Meet or Zoom or whatever, multi-people uh, live stream kind of scenario where people can hear those stories. And it doesn't matter if it's three, four, five, six, or if by the end of it, 100 or 3,000 have connected, but yeah. perhaps technology could help. There's even a very rudimentary way of doing it, which is just like you see a lot of coffees that come with an information card now. Like, I think that's a really good touch point that people can either choose to read or choose to disregard. So like, if you see someone reading that, they're probably a little bit more interested. So it's kind of a good gauge. Um, and then, yeah, we can utilize technology to, I don't know, maybe show, if it's a great coffee that you're excited about, show them a video of the farm digitally introduce them to the farmers and it's probably labor intensive but yeah like i think a lot of people would connect with coffee more than just being a liquid in a cup if they were able to understand how much work has gone into it and i think that adds value to the chain at kind of every level as well yeah and i think time time is the essence as they say in this case is super I, I, yeah, you hit the spot with that thing, time it is. And I think, I think that it goes back to what you said in terms of the differences with the other industries, like spirits um, and what they did, all this massive structure. I think with a stronger structure and skeleton, coffee could be also uh, reaching higher, uh, reaching people uh, willing to scroll their uh, their social media and take their time to read that instead of the story about some red wine or uh, a sneaker or a bar of chocolate or whatever it is. And I think, I think, I think, yeah, I'm really, I'm really zoning into, into what you said earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I think that structure is, is incredibly important. Um, and moving forward, obviously 2020 competition has, you know, off, off, off. What, what, what would you like to see in the future of coffee and also coffee in good spirits? 
I think um, the the thing I always like in competitions is a little bit of kind of improvisation on the spot, um, which you get in probably Brewers Cup with the compulsory round, but in Coffee Good Spirits, the spirit bar is great, but I would like it to be even more kind of just rock up and there will be some ingredients on a counter and you have to make a drink. That would be a cool thing. Like the mystery box challenge they do on MasterChef, that kind of thing, um, where everyone gets you know, half an hour to create a drink and then they have to present it with maybe not even with too much of a presentation because when you get into the realms of presentation, it becomes just another round, which is similar to the other rounds. Whereas if it was like a blind, just purely judged on how the drink tastes, I know that moves away from my storytelling aspect, but you do have to make nice drinks fundamentally. And if you have kind of understanding of um, delicious things, that will help in the future rounds, I think. And you can still bring a story um, because uh, we all have stories. Um, obviously, it will be limited to, to, to individuals rather than producers, but uh, I think you could still be able to do that. Uh, with with a Mr. Box challenge, I think I think that that's a great idea. I think it's fun as well. Like com coffee competitions are um, notoriously difficult to watch for people who aren't in the industry, <laughs> unless they're kind of behind someone else. So yeah. if, if there's a bit of a kind of fast-paced improvisation, like oh, what would you do with that? What would you do with that? I think it's a little bit more a um, interactive way of doing things. And it would make preparation easier on you and your and your body because yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't have to try all these different things you would just have to use those ingredients man for coffee and good spirits i have well we all have to prepare three four five six seven drinks really even though you only serve four because the spirit bar you have to have potentially three drinks prepared plus a hot and a cold and irish coffee so six so um so yeah there's a lot of packing i took 80, uh, 87 kilos of stuff to Brazil. Um, and the young man, Paul Ross there, he and I took different routes. So I was carrying that across Brazil, <laughs> which was fun. He uh, had a bit of a delay in Lisbon, so I had to stay overnight in Lisbon. We took weirdly different routes to Brazil. Um, and I had the equipment and it was quite heavy, <laughs> which was fun. All full of like yeah. precious bottles and like, <laughs> like de really delicate glassware. Well, he, yeah, and he just said, obviously, ready, steady, cook, but coffee, coffee cocktail edition. And those memories do, those memories do create those stories, like you said. So I you think... Can, you can go on that as well. The um, Ready, Steady, Cook, that's like a British TV show. Um, and that's, I think, it's voted on by the audience, even though they don't taste it. So if you could have, like, green tomatoes, which is what it used to be, or red tomatoes, and you could have like a crowd vote maybe, it'd be quite nice because the difficult thing, and it's going to be even more difficult now, is we're building competitions around things that taste nice and the things that go alongside it, whereas the crowd sit there not able to taste any of it really a lot of the time. So if we can incorporate some kind of pre-batched equivalent or something, that'd be quite nice too. Yeah, yeah, that's always the frustrating part of watching competition because yeah. you hear, and usually it's very well articulated yeah. people talking about these amazing drinks, and you're there watching, which is which is which is good. I think 
I think MasterChef, like you touched base on, the culture around food could be one of the solutions around coffee in the sense of appreciation, going back to what we're talking about, farms and appreciating the coffee, being more than just liquid into the cup. Because, uh, because people are more willing to do their research, to cook, to look at the recipes, to look into the ingredients. And, and they started to create these movements and spend more on dining out and having different experiences. And I think, I think COVID, funnily enough, could help coffee in that regards because people are now more than ever brewing at home. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, how can I, my coffee's not tasting the same as yesterday. Yeah. What's up here? And uh, the um, like a problem I've always had with our industry is we're just so cheap. <clears throat> like we're serving the best coffees in the world for less than Starbucks, Costa and Nero and like the big chains. But if you went like if you compare that to the food world, for example, we're serving Michelin star meals for the price of a McDonald's. But there's no kind of differentiation between the two because the brand is so important. Um, and I think now if speciality coffee was more expensive. I don't want to make it unreachable, but if it was a little bit more expensive, people would be more inclined to make it at home, which is why people probably make nice meals at home because they don't want to spend hundreds of pounds or dollars on a Michelin star meal. It would make people care a little bit more about the product and appreciate it because it is hard. And then the cafe in that scenario that would have to deliver more on the stories and the yes. experience rather than just what's in the cup. Yeah, then like, compare the experience of going to McDonald's to a fine dining restaurant. It's completely different. And I'm not saying it should be stuffy or kind of uh, awkward, but if we can transmit our passion to those customers, that has to have value, I think. Yeah, I appreciate what you said. I, yeah, that connects well with me. Um, and, and it is more than that. So I think the experience will enhance those conversations. Yeah, sure. Um, it's a long way, but eventually uh, yeah. it will there. Um, we got a few minutes left, and uh, thank you again for, for popping by. I really appreciate the, the time and the chat. I know you you got a newborn and, 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 and a whole bunch of stuff, editing videos. Um, just a last couple of questions because Instagram is quite cutthroat uh, when it comes to give you the countdown. It gives you 30 seconds to wrap it up, and I hate that. Um, <laughs> so I don't want questions and answers. I'd rather uh, a few extra minutes. Ultimately, what's your coffee and coffee and spirits mission, and what's next uh, on your planet? For me, um... What was next and what is next is very different now. Um, for me, I think if I can get people to appreciate coffee cocktail, or not even appreciate, but try coffee cocktails, that's a really big kind of achievement for me because I obviously care, I care so much about them and it's built such a big part of my life. But in the whole world, there are only a handful of people who really, really care about these drinks as probably as much as like a lot of, you know, or yeah kind of weird thing to say, but I care a lot about them. <laughs> and I want other people to enjoy them because I think they're great. And of course. Like, coffee is a fantastic end in itself, but it's also a really good ingredient to contribute to other drinks. So like I always compare it to whiskey. Whiskey is the most amazing thing to sip, but also whiskey is a really, really good cocktail ingredient. So if we can treat coffee as 
something with huge value on its own, but also huge value to build towards other flavors. I think that's really important. And actually the best feedback I ever got from, it was actually a signature drink in WBC, was you don't want to build a spectrum of flavors that are all the same as each other. You want to fill in the gaps that the coffee doesn't have in order to create like a final complete whole. So the coffee is a big part of that, but if we can find ways to complement it, that's going to make the drinks hopefully even more elevated and even better. I love that. I love that. <laughs> and um, yeah, obviously on what's next, that's changed. And uh, it's, yeah. uh, it is, it is, it is, sort of what it is. Hopefully, I don't know, hopefully they'll reopen borders soon, eventually when everything is safe to do so. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, a real pleasure and a treat to have you on. Um, I just hope maybe perhaps we could, we could do a, we could do it another time in a month or two, maybe do a little, to, to kind of show that respect for those uh, uh, cocktail drinks. Maybe we could have a little live session of you creating something. I don't know. I'll even happy to send uh, to send over the, the required ingredients. Uh, well, not, not from Australia. I'm talking more on that. I can, I can buy the ingredients. That's absolutely my pleasure. But maybe we could do something like that in the, in the, in the near future. Yeah, man, I've got a lot of, um, or a few partnerships I'm very excited to unveil as well. So in a few months' time, they'll all be out in the world. So be able to talk about those too. Okay, all right, let's do that. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, you know, get get as much sleep as you can. I know you might be <laughs> sleep deprived with yeah, the newborn. Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you again and uh, stay safe. It was a real pleasure meeting you and talking to you. Yeah, my turn. Thanks everyone for watching. Much appreciated. Thanks, buddy. Cool. Thanks a lot. See you soon. Thank you. Ciao. Bye-bye. There you have it, guys. Uh, it was a a real treat uh, talking to talking to him, and um, I just I just appreciate the the flow of the conversation and where it went. Um, it was a bit of a different time than usual, but is uh, a new is a new new father, so he had to we had to work around that. And uh, yeah, thank you all for tuning in. If you're new, just um, would love if you share this. Uh, we're always uh, grateful when you guys share this onto your social media platforms. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. we got more episodes to come. Uh, obviously, big thanks to Dan. Um, Wednesday, we got a double treat. Uh, we got uh, La Marzocca Australia with two two of the boys of the team. And uh, we got another amazing guest on Friday. So just stay tuned. And uh, thank you for tuning in, uh, Andre, Dan, especially you two. Anyway, stay safe and I'll see you Wednesday.